0: I can't. I can't do it. I can't fake those original thoughts again. We can do it again. Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com, this is There Will Be Movies, where we talk about 25 of our favourite movies from a given decade, this is volume 1, so we're doing 2002-2009, 2000 episode 12, Children of Men, I am Matt Waters, I'm joined as always by Ben Phillips, who would remember to hit record if he were in charge of that. Ben, how are you? It's insufferably hot here.
1: I am fine. I'm not gonna rub it in. <laughs>
0: So, we're doing Children of Men, set in... Well, parts of it set in Ben's home of London. Chosen by you more than me. We have me, we have you, and we have both. And the reason this is you and not both is I saw it a long time ago and remembered it being good. And then, uh, because you picked it, it got on the list and... I saw it again, and I thought, oh, it's more than good. It's excellent. So, good catch, yeah. making sure it ends up on here.
1: I know. Like, we had, we, we had like, the three Quaron options for this decade. It's Itumama Tambien, it's Harry Potter 3, and it's Children of Men. This is just the one that's kind of, like, latched onto me. Like, I love Itumama Tambien. I said in the last recording that, like, uh, Alfonso Cuaron's, like, my favourite working filmmaker at the moment. I think every movie he's done since 2002 is, like, Fantastic. But for whatever reason, probably like this being set in London, the technical prowess behind this movie, it yeah. just being even now, like it being so prescient to like what era we live in now, just makes it hit home.
0: Seeing it post Brexit or middle of Brexit, etc., it hits a different way now. I would say, and even in America, where there is now or has been for a few years now, the like incredibly heavy anti-immigrant rhetoric that's going around, it makes it more prescient. Uh, I don't know if it's, it enhances it or makes it, like, tougher
1: to watch or both. It's it's crazy, but... I mean, it's, it's definitely tough to watch, because like, I've watched this movie multiple times previously. I've not watched it in a few years, but this is the first time it's made me cry. Um, which which I don't know if that's, like, me emotionally, like, growing up and being able to, like, see these moments as being more beautiful than they are, but, like, it, it the, the, the sections at the end of this movie hit home so much more for me this time round. Um, yeah. And that's not to say, like, Eating Mum Time isn't a masterpiece. It is. It's again it's just uh, two two mexican boys traveling across (laughs) on like a sex trip is a lot of fun and probably would be made on this list if like we were doing more than one movie by director but
0: (laughs) yeah well uh, that opens a whole avenue of stuff yeah and i would lean more towards this because of what it is contributing to the genre and like you know the sort of sci-fi in the background thing that has become very popular in the last decade or two i just think he is directing the shit out of this and it's so impressive and just all the one that he's doing, and...
1: We have to give a shout-out to Emmanuel Lubezki, or Chivo, as he's commonly known, like, three-time Oscar winner, post this movie, but this is some of my favourite work from him. I mean, he won three years in a row for Gravity Birdman and the Revenant, which, no matter what you think about those movies, they're all really fucking gorgeous movies. Oh, yeah. That's, um,
0: that's a heavyweight trio right there, in terms of visual... Well, not even just visuals, but, like, you know, impressive camera shit.
1: Yeah, and even then, he's been, he's been nominated for Tree of Life, Children of Men, The New World... Sleepy Hollow, like, he does these, like, really, really gorgeous movies. He works with, mostly at this point, Quaron, Inurisu, and Terrence Malick. He just has a gift behind the camera. He is utterly fantastic, and probably one of my favourite working cinematographers. Just like, this is one of my favourite working directors, so it's, like, match yeah. made in heaven.
0: It's all just come together, and speaking of coming together, this is very much a movie with many, many writers, a lot of legacy-type stuff, because it is a book by... P.D. James, very different to her usual stuff that was originally adapted as a screenplay by Paul Chart then rewritten by Mark Fergus and Hawk Otsby, who are officially credited for the script of Iron Man, but as anyone who knows anything about Iron Man will tell you, there basically wasn't a script. <laughs> they improvised all of that. Alfonso Cuaron got hired and he and Timothy Sexton rewrote the, the movie, but then he went off to make Harry Potter 3 which meant that David Arata stepped in and rewrote it again and then that draft secured Clive Owen who also makes uh, uncredited contributions to the script. He added stuff of his own, he critiqued stuff that they'd written and like Curon said how he would like send him scenes and be like what do you think of this and yeah that like, he was a, an enormous voice in the room and all that but yeah we got five credited writers but no room for Clive Owen no room for Paul Chart but there you go
1: We, we can't get into like what the WGA rules are for like who gets credited on movies. Fucking stupid as well. I, I mean. was a little bit surprised because it looks like there's four groups of screenwriters on it. But I guess there's two groups of two. It's just it looked weird in the credits at the end.
0: I think Curan and Sexton are a duo. Fergus and Otz, Ostby are a duo. Ostby. <laughs> uh, and Arata's a solo and then Owen would have been solo but he's...
1: Yeah, he didn't do it big enough. They should have like...
0: just shoved him in there with Arata somehow. I don't
1: know. But... It's interesting that he got to do this because obviously like, cause he, he he does eat a mum Tambien, then he goes off and signs on to do this movie and then obviously gets the opportunity to direct uh, Prisoner of Azkaban Yes, the
0: best Harry Potter movie The best Harry Potter
1: movie movie, which apparently uh, Alfonso Cuaron decided he only wanted to make one I don't know if he wanted to get tied down
0: it's so strange, like, I would just back up the dump truck of money to him, but I guess it's probably the best because it's also the most, like, artsy and technically impressive in terms of practical, like, like, he's doing one-ers and, and complicated shots in that,
1: and maybe they're like, look,
0: we're looking for something a little bit more boilerplate, a little bit more pain-by-numbers here, uh, I, I don't know. I mean,
1: it, it, it's sort of similar to Hulk, where it's like, you have yeah. a director who is who is obviously so much more technically accomplished than you would normally hire for this kind of source material, which is what makes it interesting. Interesting. Whether or not you think Hulk is like a great movie, it's definitely interesting. Which I, mean, I know there are people who think that uh, Prisoner of Azkaban kind of takes it too dark too soon in the series, but it is.
0: But that's definitely the book where it does start to get serious. It's all been he
1: uh, um... said serious. It's a pun.
0: Uh, yeah, let's just leave that there. But... <laughs> Fuck. Uh, released <laughs> September 2006 in the UK. But Christmas Day in the US, which can't have helped with the religious controversies that... Christmas
1: Day is such a bizarre release date in the US, though. Like, you hear things like Les is. And Django Unchained came out on the same day, Christmas Day, and it's yeah. like, why? Why would you? I mean, I guess there's two different groups of people who are just like, I've got no one to see on my on Christmas, so I'll either go see big epic musical like, or.
0: I used to go see movies on Christmas Eve with my father, but like, I don't think cinemas are open in this country on Christmas Day. But like, it's not only that they're open, but movies open on Christmas Day in the US is weird. And like. What was it last Christmas when there was like Bumblebee and Aquaman and all that? Like something big opened on Christmas. I think I can't it was remember. Mary, Mary Poppins, possibly. That sounds. About that was like right. the
1: those are the three big ones. It was like Aquaman, Bumblebee, and Mary Poppins like the three big Christmas movies. Yeah, naturally, a lot of.
0: Of stuff with the christianity there but 2006 so ben why don't you go in on the year that was 2006
1: so after 2005 felt like a thief dream we're now kind of like settling down firmly into kind of like franchisee movies price kevin 2 dead man's chest Da Vinci code isolation meltdown casino royale the best of daniel craig's bomb movies not the museum car not true that's not true <laughs> sorry keep going though x-men The last stand mission impossible 3 superman returns happy feet some good movies there i like mission impossible 3 i like casino Royale. You can feel the sea change into being like, Disney's going to start dominating in a couple of years. You can see superheroes sort of on their, not their last legs but they're not dominating as much but we are already two years away from 2008 domination.
0: Yeah, like 2005, a Hall of Fame bad year for movies or in terms of like the 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 big box office 2006 an improvement but still not great. I mean you still
1: have the last stand in there and even then I saw Pirates of the Caribbean 2 and I liked it when I saw it but it's still not as good or as fresh as that first movie and it did kind of solidify Johnny Depp as like movie star the worst mistake Um, we ever made so let's talk about some good movies Uh, Pan's Labyrinth which maybe we'll have some time for coming up in a future episode who knows knows? The Lives of Others Inland Empire Colossal Youth this movie ranked number 52 of the decade on the They Shoot Pictures list Uh, The Host by Boon John Hu fantastic movie The Departed another one we might have some time to discuss maybe in the future Uh, one of our title movies uh, Borat Cultural Learnings of America for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan
0: Yeah. zoom in on our logo, baby. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> but yeah so like there, there is some good stuff that came out in 2006 it's just this is one of those years where like you look at the highest grossing movies and it's like that wasn't what people saw
0: no not at all
1: which takes us to the Oscars which won by The Departed Martin Scorsese finally getting to win his Oscar after many many years uh, Babel <laughs> clearly his best movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> Babel Letters from Iwo Jima the good half of Clint Eastwood's kind of Pacific duology Little Miss Sunshine and The Queen now spun off into The Crown on Netflix I'm excited to see if Helen Miller comes common. back I'm mean, excited to see Helen Miller comes back I was back also excited to see olivia colman in season three we're always excited to see olivia colman this is very true yeah. but yeah there we go that's kind of like where cinema was at in 2006 it, a kind of after how weird 2005 was you start to see where the industry is going to go until you reach the point in 2019 where the top 10 is like all disney movies yeah you got disney you got superheroes you got, sort of, indie movies writ large. Yeah, it's all all
0: just happening, isn't it? But to focus on this movie, 109 Minutes, I've been complaining, because I'm a cranky pants, about a lot of these movies feeling a bit too long in places. This one, I would not be able to levy that complaint because it's so kinetic and tight and just everything feels so important because you are just zoomed right in on theo who is in famously in almost every scene there's like a very brief scene where he's not in it but other than that yeah so it's a, it's a small cast and you are focused right in with them and it feels i mean they've shot it to feel like a documentary almost and i
1: think that really helps with it not feeling too long they cut out a lot like most of the dialogue in this movie is isn't explaining stuff it's just kind of like very organically talking about the world yeah so like there's no there's no point where someone has to sit down and go like right we're gonna discuss the scientific reasons why no woman has been able to give birth it's just everyone kind of like trusts it and goes with it and this is the status quo no one doubts it like you get a little bit of like character stuff going through but again it's all done in very organic ways where like people are talking about people in the way that you talk about people when you're like talking about someone who isn't in the room definitely and and it's
0: got that Shaun of the Dead thing going on where like they have no interest in telling you where this came from how it goes. Show on the dead it goes away and we don't know what happens here really but it's more about right let's focus on what's happening here rather than how we got here. There's no big this is what happened in 2012 like opening narration or anything like that. Budget $76 million box office only $70 million.
1: So big fat flop here. I'm yeah. I am happy to say that the UK did come out to support it. Like, we gave it a gross of about $10 million. $10 million like, it's, it's like a seventh of all the money it made came from the UK. Half came from the US, but you expect that from a country that big. It opened number one at the UK box office, which I'm just Like, I'm happy. I'm happy yeah. that we did that for this movie.
0: Yeah, we gotta we got to raise it up. Most of the cast, co- well, a lot of the cast are British. The biggest name who is not would be Julianne Moore, who was originally cast to play. The role of the first woman to be pregnant in 18 years and it is a very good thing they pivoted away from that white saviour narrative and I also think it's very good that so many of the refugees that you see are white as well because it could have been a real rough scene, a real Game of Thronesian whitest woman alive amidst all the brown people type thing um, but Curon landed on an African mother because of the strongly held belief oh, is it even a belief? Like it's scientifically proven right? That life came from Africa Fricker. Charlie Hunnam was cast immediately after Curon saw Cold Mountain because he's like, you're real good. Come play just a real scary fuckbag Geordie man. And he does. Too good for Fifty Shades, but not, not too good for this. And then there was a lot of controversy upon release around all the stuff. With the Christianity, uh, you know, like the fishes and the virgin birth style scene and and learning that she's pregnant in a stable and, and everyone says Jesus or Jesus Christ uh, when they see her with the child and, and Theo means God and yeah, it's all there. It's all right there. It's not really like, I don't think it's mocking Christianity, but I can see why some people the people that get offended if you even invoke anything Christian without being a Christian work, I can see why they would
1: be up in arms.
0: But uh, it's, yeah. it,
1: it's doing the same thing The Leftovers did of kind of like extrapolating what religion or what theology would look like in a world where something tragic had happened. It's, it's taking that and going like, well, how would Christianity evolve? What life Would people kind of travel down in the world where this happened.
0: And, well, the world where this happened, we start in 2027, and our protagonist Theo is getting a coffee in London, and there are news reports about how baby Diego has been stabbed to death. He's not a baby. He's 18 years old, but he was the youngest person on the planet, making him a celebrity, and uh, yeah, they they recount his life right on down to minutes. Like, it's not just years and months, it it is right on in there because of How important that is, and like you hear how the mantle has been passed to a woman who is also eighteen years old, but slightly more months, weeks, whatever. This is all then followed by a bombing, which takes place two weeks, maybe a month after the London bombings, which is which is bold, but Huron was very when they when they're
1: they're shooting it. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, yeah.
0: But Huron was insistent on filming in London, like he shot in London before, and just like the big long shots off the streets, like, there's no way you could fake that, and, like, they they CG in the shard, because that hadn't been completed when they filmed, but would be by the time they finished, and it's impressive, it's it's stayed there the whole time. This opening scene is very, like, it's almost incidental, it's just sort of setting the scene of what the world is like in a very quick sort of minute, two minutes, because while they do raise the idea that perhaps the fishes were behind this bombing. It really doesn't have much impact at all on on the overall plot. It's just sort of this is what life's like now. Deal with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it I mean it is the first of these like very good one camera movement shots where like you go from Theo buying his coffee and then he goes outside and just stops to kind of like put some sugar in or whatever and then just the building explodes behind him and even more freaky for me because I I now work five minutes away from where that scene was shot this is one of those things where like sometimes you see these things in the newspaper and be like oh there's been a bombing and it takes place in this place in London but unless you physically see landmarks that you recognise you can kind of like dissociate from it. So much of, like,
0: Spaced and Shaun of the Dead are, like, very, like, zoomed in on this specific area of London. And I can't imagine, like, if you lived on these streets. It's like, oh, shit. Like, so the buses have, like, video screen ads and everything. No Oyster cards, though. So No Oyster
1: cards. We're, we're not in the proper future.
0: Right. This is this is timeline B. So he pretends that he's been affected by uh, what's happened with Baby Diego because there are pe- everyone in his office, which is called like the Ministry of Something or Other, which surely has to be a nod to 1984 with like the Ministry of Joy and, and all of that sort of stuff. There are people at their desks just weeping and looking at the news of Baby Diego's death and he uses it to go home early and smoke some weed with Michael Caine basically and on the train you see this incredibly, as we said like you know the post-Brexit world with like the incredibly anti-immigration rhetoric with like all these different countries around the world, their governments have fallen only Britain remains and immigration is completely illegal now and and report everyone whether they're your sister or your your house cleaner or, or whatever like report them all and you've got trains that have got like reinforced windows and all the Graffiti in the background and people throwing stuff. It's very intense stuff and and people in cages when he gets off the at the platform to meet Jasper and stuff like that. Like
1: they are building such a world here. Yeah, and like everyone speaking in a foreign language yeah. and yeah. <laughs> There's
0: no way you'd notice first time through, but sitting behind him on the train is a member of the Fishers, which potentially explains what could be seen as a plot convenience later on when they find him, but yeah, and if you couple that with them having to deny that they were behind that bombing it's like, alright, maybe they have been just tailing him constantly and then yeah so yeah he Michael Caine talk about all the like religious cults and, and just smoke so much weed and I love that like in the car it, he's not just listening to the the cliche stuff you'd expect this style of character to be listening to he's also listening to Aphex Twin he's also listening to Dubstep and it it's just that clever thing of like while we see this character visually and we just imagine someone whose heyday was the and 70s it's like no his heyday would have been like the 90s 2000s kind of because we're set a little bit further on and, and yeah and how like we thought of our parents music as being so old and ours is so cutting edge and ours will never grow old but one day it will be considered old music it's just a really yeah nice and
1: it, it does that nice shortcut of like you don't have to show what the culture is in this time frame because you can just say like they're into the classics quote unquote but the classics <laughs> are contemporary music for when the movie was made yeah exactly and yeah, we see throughout Jasper's house a lot of
0: newspaper clippings and like pictures and and stuff like that, and it it tells you that he was a political cartoonist. His wife was a political photographer, and you know you never really get these lines said out loud, so you are just left to infer what you will from from this background stuff, as you are a lot throughout the movie.
1: Yeah, and like what the one key piece of information is, like you see you see Jasper's wife is kind of like in a wheelchair. Through all these scenes, and in one of the newspaper clippings, it says "photojournalist" uh, or "government denies involvement in torture of photojournalist," and Jesus. Just, just yeah, just kind of like really reinforces what kind of world they're living in where.
0: And that's why he lives off the grid. Like he's his house is in the middle of the woods, there's like a alarm system, they have to like move a bunch of tree branches to use the accessible road. It's all solar paneled so that he's got electricity, but he's out in the middle of night. The- oh it's it's grim dark stuff. And uh, I I
1: just enjoyed that the scene is he's just there to talk the shit with him.
0: Yeah, he's just I mean We we
1: get We get world building But it is all framed In this way of like The conversation is Cough while you smoke this weed Can you taste strawberries
0: Yes And strawberry cough Is a real strain of marijuana So yeah We learn as we go That Theo While he seems like He's a nine to five Punch the clock bureaucrat That he used to be Involved in the political scene And given who Jasper is And who Jasper's wife is You can trace that Friendship back to here potentially,
1: and yeah, because like some people say, like, oh, is he? Are they related? Is he his father or whatever? But like, just, I don't they're just—they are just—they're just, I just friends. I don't get that.
0: I get, that's just a desperation for everything to be just so incredibly like normative. Like, oh, old person must be protagonist's father, and, and <laughs> pretty lady must be love interest. You know that sort of shit. Michael Caine <laughs> smoking weed for the first time in his career, and he based his performance on John Lennon after meeting him. So. Who among us has not, you know? <laughs> so on his work, way to work the next day, Theo is abducted by the Fishes, who are a terrorist organisation, let's be real. They, they have done some bombings, if they, even if they didn't do this most recent one, and their whole mission statement is rights for immigrants, etc. They are led by his ex-girlfriend, Julian, played by Julianne Moore. Estranged well, wife. Yeah, what are we doing here? Why is she called Julianne? I've never heard a woman called Julian before. and I, I know she's called Julianne, but like did someone just mishear what her name is and just put it in the script Uh balaclava over the head he's in a room with like the intense lighting and there's all these newspapers around covering the windows and they had to produce every one of these fake newspapers and come up with all the headlines and all this shit that's very very Wes anderson but in a darker way of course (laughs) it's his ex-girlfriend julian and they want transport papers for someone an incoming uh, a refugee who they want to Get out of the country. I don't even know if she gives them that much information at this stage, but yeah, it's it's for a female refugee. And they call him all Fujis, which is fun. He declines, and they just chuck him back
1: out on the street and stuff like that. And well, fish... they give it. They give him the given the thing and says like, if you change your mind, put yes. this yeah, up exactly. on the up on the board outside. I can't remember what station they mentioned.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, but it's a, it's one of the examples of how the dialogue is structured in a way that it provides exposition without being exposition like you 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 learn from. She Julian about you know how political he used to be and he asks about her parents and and you know just all this stuff it's good like background stuff and she's in it for relatively a short amount of time but like I feel every scene with Clive Owen and Julianne Moore together is like extremely memorable I think they have quite a good chemistry they have a,
1: fanta- they have a fantastic chemistry and they build so much like unspoken kind of history between the two of them in a very short amount of time like the way that she is the one who calls him Theo and everyone else calls him Farron it's just a lot of int- intimacy is kind of like like really well broadcast in yeah, and, and
0: stuff like him saying oh they still use that same picture of you it doesn't do you justice and you're sort of immediately wondering right what went wrong here and are they you know I don't think they even explicitly for a while tell you that they were together, you just kind of pick it up from their, their dynamic together. Although um, in Jasper's house, there is totally the picture of the two of them with a child. Yeah, which.
1: I can't remember whether or not we don't hear the name Dylan until they go to Jasper's, or whether or not, like, one of them does it as, like, no, an I, to the other one. I think, I think, like, on the bus when she gets off, you think she's getting off because he's brought up Dylan.
0: Yeah, well, she says he has his eyes, and uh, yeah. Oof. yeah. Oof. So yeah, even though he turns down because she says I know you need the money and I feel like he turned her down entirely because of that like he didn't appreciate the dig or whatever because he does totally just go straight to his cousin Nigel played by Danny Houston who is doing a heck of an English accent I would say (laughs) he's a minister of some kind and like Battersea Power Station has been converted to like an art Sanctuary, like his job is to like gather these important pieces of art. Like, there's a Banksy piece, just a, like the wall that the Banksy piece was done on, like, has been cut away and brought here. Yeah,
1: and they, they the big one is like Michael and Joyce David, but like part of its legs been taken away and it's just got the <laughs> wireframe inside it. Because, and there was another one he mentions that like they couldn't get there in time, they just completely destroyed it. Because, yeah. what use does art have in a world where this is going to happen? And yeah,
0: uh, I like, he even says that to him, he's like, mate, you're doing all of this, and there won't be anyone alive in less than a hundred years to to see any of it, so who gives a fuck?
1: But. Yeah, and then his response is, like, I do it because I don't want to think about it. I, I'd rather save this and use my time for this reason than to think about the fact that when I die and my <laughs> son randomly played by... <laughs> yeah, Ed Westwick. Ed Westwick of all people, who's just sat there like on his little computer screen doing what looks like a Rubik's cube.
0: Yeah, at, the, at first you're like, oh, is he like in some way unwell? And he might be because he's like telling him to take his pills, and he's like, he seems quite disaffected. Like he he's like not engaging with any of them, and it's like, what's what's happening here? But it's a fun little, I don't know, like seeing him like drive up through the gates and everything, and just like there's a zebra just walking around.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's such an interesting thing because like a lot of the scenes early on with Theo. Were in East London, which, uh, like, a lot of it is shot around Hackney, and uh, that is an area which is kind of, like, majoritively made up of people of colour and immigrants, or at least definitely was kind of back then. It's kind of becoming a bit more gentrified now. Yeah. And but then, like, as they move through, like, they go into kind of, like, central London they and they move, you literally see him go through the gates, and, like, it's just a completely different world. Like, this is where all the rich people live. As he goes through, like, Whitehall and stuff like that, you know, like, oh, this it gets a little bit creepy, and just, the, the, the like, you get, like, these three stages of, like, economic disparity where like there's outer London which is still people live there and work jobs in central London and then as you move closer and closer to like Westminster and Whitehall and stuff like that you start to see the affluence start to seep back in
0: it seems like people are just sort of like lazing about and it's like oh it's the last days of Rome like why should we work let's just fuck about there's the uh the floating pig outside the window the the obvious the the Pink Floyd reference there because the movie is set on the 50th anniversary year of that album it's a good touch I like all the like cloak and dagger with the meetings with the fishers and stuff <laughs> like how they like take him to like an abandoned is that meant to be like a ticket office in an t- abandoned train station that they take probably. him to probably I, I
1: mean like, it feels like the kind of thing where like I don't whether or not it is a literally an abandoned ticket station at that point in 2006 or whether or not they managed to like rent it out whatever it is to, to <laughs> yeah. shoot the movie it's hard to say because yeah. there's a lot of of those kind of things around London as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so he gets from his cousin, uh, he acquires joint papers, which means he has to accompany the girl, but it seems like this is something he did deliberately because it means he gets more money from them. And Luke, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, he's like, Ugh, Julian, trust you. It's a sort of very, like, I would tell you to fuck off, mate. But I, have I, like, to I, like that, like,
1: I like that he gets his prepayment in, like, he's got two pints in front of him and you think Luke's drinking a third pint with him and then when he brings up, like, he just drops a third pint in front of him and then goes yeah. like fuck you but fine have this third pint have <laughs> and drink your sorrows away yeah because um, like, there's, like there's a little such as like maybe he's an alcoholic because well cute, uh, calls uh, he calls him drunk like <laughs> He calls him a drunk, but, like, when he goes to see his cousin, like, he pulls out all the stuff from his pockets, like, oh, some money. Oh, he's got
0: the bottle, <laughs> isn't he? Yeah.
1: He's got the bottle of whiskey with him, which you see him drinking from for the rest of the movie. So, like, obviously, he, he's drinking a lot.
0: Numb the pain, numb the pain. Yes. Yeah, so, there's, like, a little arranged meeting with, there's a dog track, and, like, you have to follow this woman who says, have you seen this dog? And then Julian's on a bus, and then... But, the- like, he makes a point of,
1: like, he's not, he's gonna get his money before oh, of course. he...
0: Come on, mate! I'm in a rush. Come on. Yeah, yeah. He he,
1: win- he wins the dog race, and then he immediately goes like, uh, "Before I go do this thing, that will have unknown reverberations across the entire world." Yeah. And he, like, oh, almost misses, the, he has
0: to chase the bus down and everything, because he, stop, he stops to drink or light a cigarette or something, but he thinks he's got a minute, and then he's he like, oh, fuck.
1: I love the little touch of her bringing the dog that she's looking for out of her handbag.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and as you said, like, there's a lot of relationship building between these two on the bus, and, like, he clearly, like, still is in love with her and everything he's like no look at me and she's like it hurts to look at you and that's such a like painful beat to play on that is so true to life like I would imagine
1: if yeah, you... So you start to get the intuition that like they've they had a child together at some point and something yeah. bad happened to it whether or not that is related to what caused people to stop being able to be pregnant you don't yeah. really find out or you don't find out at this point but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah like this, awesome. this relationship only broke apart because yeah, I mean, something the, so
0: what a trauma like losing losing that child and like it's so raw and real and like like you, even, you see them kiss here and everything like he's like what is what happens with us after this and it's like it's not like i never want to see you again or, or i don't love you or anything like that. it's just such a like difficult thing but yeah he he meets key he meets miriam the five of them get in a car and they start driving down towards canterbury <laughs> and uh they are ambushed real real big and they get pulled over by the police and Luke shoots two of them and they keep driving and everything, but... So this is probably one of the more famous, like, continuous shots. And the big three, none of them are actually continuous shots. It's the Birdman thing where they've, like, made it seem like a continuous shot. But they are still incredibly technically impressive. Before they even get there, there's this stuff in the car with, like... She says again how, like, he used to be such a big political activist and he, like, spiked coffee of people that were trying to arrest them. And they do this weird little beat with a ping-pong ball <laughs> where they're, like, shooting it into each other's mouths and stuff. It's like, well, this is certainly a thing you're doing, isn't it? Yeah, but there's
1: also like this the great little, like, it, it's one of those moments that, like, it reinforces the character because it's not something you normally see, but it's a nice touch that feels so human.
0: Yeah, and it feels that, like, so this, personal to them. And
1: I love that they do the thing where, like, they... The cars are subtly modernised as well, where, like, they don't have... They're just completely, like, sheer windows, which I see makes it easier to shoot in as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, there's that. But yeah, they're, like, they're made to look a little bit better than old, but then, like, on the screen, there's, like, a a heads-up display, almost, in the bottom right. And And that tells
1: you how fast you're going, points out things to pay attention to... Yeah, uh,
0: and, like, you see this burning car, like slowly creeping down the hill and you're almost like, oh, they should probably be able to get past that. And it's like, oh fuck, no we won't. And then just the swarm of people coming out of the woods and it's just so, so so intense. And the fucking logistics that they had to go through to perform this are insane. There were four people sitting on the roof of the car that had to be specially modified so that both the front and back screens could fold down to let the camera through. The act as chairs had to fully recline so they could lie down and let a camera sweep over the top of them and they were told this could not be done before they started filming it and through insane amounts of, <laughs> of, inven- uh, of like invention they, they managed it but yeah it's just so 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 intense and and like the people on the motorcycle like they shoot Julian and she dies and Theo has to like open the door into one of them and he goes flying and the, like the bike hits the car and fly- it's, it's crazy and then the police as well, and like, the way they shoot that scene as well, with Chiwetel you, you for like, getting out of the car, in the midst of all this, you know, show us the passport, show us this, show-, and he just shoots them both, and it's just like, fuck, what is happening right now? Just I, what,
1: I, what I love about it is, it doesn't go too big with it, like, everything that happens feels, the the car isn't driving so fast when the, the flaming car comes down the hill that it feels like something that people would do when they're actually driving, Yeah, the gunshots all feel realistic, the the opening the car door just to kind of, like, knock, knock them off the Motorcycle, feel, like they all feel like logical steps. There's no none of that big stuff where like he opens the car door and then you see it slamming into the front tire and it flipping over into the front. It just yeah. kind of like it it's skims really like
0: back. I don't know. It, it's it's almost invasive. Like the thud you hear when that bike sort of awkwardly hits the car and, and like turns. It's like Jesus. It, it just it feels so real. All of that. Like like they were going for this documentary style thing, but it also is almost horror movie ish in the way that it's. But like the the like new wave of horror where it's sort of like real real-life horror. That's what I'm talking yeah, about. Like I like, like, cause, cause
1: he, yeah, because he's holding on to Julian's neck all the time, kind of like trying to stop her from bleeding out. And yeah.
0: It's just like how yeah. that car just creeps down that hill, as you said, out of shot, and just the how these people just appear from nowhere. and You don't know what's going on. You don't know who they are, but because of the way this world has been established, and knowing that the Fishers are a terrorist organisation, knowing that the government, well, we later learn the government would not be too happy with what they're trying to achieve. It's like... It's just, you don't really ask questions, you're just sort of like, well you do, but it's like, it doesn't matter, like this is just what life is like, and and they, they, once they get away, they have to bury Julian, and you see Theo sort of walk away, and he's been so disaffected until now, and so like, yeah, whatever, I just want the money, and all that, and you just see him just break down by this tree, and it's, oh, uh, Clive Owen is very good in this.
1: <laughs> yeah, like I, I, we haven't we haven't mentioned him so much so far because I I don't think this movie works if they don't have someone as good as Clive Owen. Yeah,
0: especially if he's gonna be scene. in
1: every fucking scene,
0: like.
1: <laughs> Yeah, like like Julianne Julia Moore is like second build in this movie, and she goes very quickly, but she like really leaves that impact. But Clive Owen has to carry everything. Yeah, you're um, asking
0: him to do so much, to wear so many hats, to literally physically like move so much as an actor. Like he he talked about like how he and camera operators were having to do this like really intricate dance around these tightly choreographed scenes and everything like yeah this must have taken quite a lot out of him doing this (laughs) how he managed to film the inside man in the same year i I don't know Um, so they reach a safe house down in sort of canterbury sort of way heading down towards the south of england i
1: do i do love that they get to a point where like they don't even need the papers that, that theo got for them at this point like they never go through the actual checkpoint after this
0: no well they, they fuck it don't they they've, they've like ruined the plan somehow or whatever like, I assume they were originally going to Dover or or somewhere down that
1: way but... I, can't, I can't remember where they said the first set, the first meeting with the tomorrow was going to be because like, like, they know, they say they're not going to be able to get there in time but they're close enough to Bex, Bex Hill to get there Yeah. yeah. so it, it might be Dover but it, it, they definitely head to Sussex so yeah they reach there's a farm
0: safe house Theo's told he can't go back to London until the morning and all the fishers are coming in to vote for a new leader now julian's dead suspiciously quickly if you really think about it and key tells theo that julian insisted that she only trust him if things start getting weird and it's out in this little cow shed or whatever and she reveals that she is pregnant she's sort of browbeaten into almost having the baby here instead of because Theo's like go to a fucking doctor (laughs) uh, yeah
1: I, I I love that this this scene is kind of like you're thrown into the deep end you're very much in with Clive Owen at this point where like he's kind of got kind of like go to a doctor this is the logical thing to do like yeah you need help kind of yeah the kind of like naive audience surrogate where like we as ordinary people are kind of going to be watching the scene and going like this is huge like this is gonna change the world and they're gonna people are gonna be good about this and like mm. this first childbirth is gonna be huge and then in the background like all these people are just going like what the fuck is he talking about like there's no way they're gonna let a black woman be or a black foreigner yeah be.
0: they say how they're just gonna hand the baby to a posh black woman and, st- uh, and, and all of this sort of stuff and how there's no way they would recognise a refugee having the first baby in 18 years uh, given how incredibly anti-immigrant Britain's been and like this entire thing of like the reason british government still works is because they've just 100 cracked down on immigration it's all just so so dark and luke is voted the new leader of the fishes which is something i mean you could have guessed it if they didn't do this but like you hear them like toasting him or like voting him in through a window as you walk as theo's walking past as the camera is walking past the window just all this great
1: like ancillary background stuff it's great yeah i i love how diverse this group of fishes is because obviously like the the co-owner of the farm is tomas and he's from poland and they do a little talk about like him him being there from being from poland and cod an english fish an english fish (laughs) Uh, and there's obviously like people of kind of like Indian descent or Pakistani descent in the group as well yeah. I, think, I think he's called Ian the, one of the characters there
0: who is one of the many who are like you're a fucking idiot oh she should have the baby here he's the one that was sitting behind Theo on the train and, and yeah he, he seems to be of Middle Eastern descent and, but he seems quite posh himself so I, I think there might be a classism thing going on here as well and Chiwetel Four obviously has his quite well spoken accent in most things but yeah but
1: it, it, it's just it's, it Is like they are so much more diverse. Like no matter when you see anyone else, it seems like they're always white British people who are doing this other stuff, which again feels so depressing. Like I I don't even think in the scene where they're going through Whitehall, you see any people of color. I don't know. In that scene,
0: a fun game to to play while you're watching this depressing movie. Throughout this. Theo is under constant, like, gentle surveillance, like, Tomash has to, like, follow him around as he's going outside, and then, like, he won't leave him alone until Miriam takes him, and all of this stuff, and, and I think it's here, I think Key is the one that says, Julian told me you had a child called Dylan, and he called you Papa, and you taught him to swim when he was two, and all this stuff, so I think that's when you get the actual full-on confirmation there, and Theo starts a tradition that follows through the rest of the film. Every time someone learns that Key is either pregnant, or C her baby because spoilers she has the baby in the movie. The first thing they say is Jesus Christ or just Jesus or just Christ so you know we're going real heavy on this virgin birth type thing we're doing here. We then move on to sort of the middle portion of the movie once we've had this big revelation. So Theo is awoken in the night because there's a commotion Patrick who's Charlie Hunnam's character who is a Geordie with dreadlocks so just oof.
1: It, it, I, I love the little touch of both Patrick and Miriam have both got dreadlocks Yeah, and he's and, another and one of Miriam's those.
0: got this Sort of to us unrecognizable kind of spiritual religious bent to her, like she is performing like the death ritual she does for Julian. It's like, what is this? And, and I think,
1: and she, it's, it's how the movie ends as well, like in yeah. the credits, like the the, the, the words she say kind of like come up at the end credits. But is that like, is this another sect of religion in the UK? Is this a, one of those things where like they're appropriating cultures of? I mean, would be, oh, like there is this very fine line that they take in terms of like they are yeah. immigrants, but are they also appropriating?
0: Are they are. Like you were doing out of solidarity. Like, is it a. But I also think it's just that general cliche of like. You know, the hippie-type character leaning in that direction. Yeah, the enlightened
1: enlightened white person. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So he rocks up on a bike in the middle of the night, and he has his cousin or his brother, I think it's his brother, with him, who is very injured, and they're very like, why did you bring him here, you fucking idiot? And they sort of bring him inside, and it's very like, hide the bike. And something I definitely didn't notice on my first watch, heavy heavy implication because of how much uh, Patrick hates Theo personally. They were the two on the bike that shot Julian and it was Theo opening the door into, and you see the rider on the back goes flying off so we infer that was Patrick's brother or cousin or whatever he is. Yeah, and and Theo's obviously not meant to have seen any of this, because we also learn they say here that they were responsible for Julian's death, all
1: intended to it's like a mutiny, because Luke and Julian clearly had different ideas. Yeah, they don't don't want Key to go to the human project. They want her to stay in the UK and become a symbol.
0: Yeah, they want to use the baby as a political platform, which is something she explicitly says she doesn't want to do, and they're like, oh, we'll do whatever you want, but they're very clearly, like, limiting her choices in such a way where she has to go along with what
1: they're saying it feels it, it feels like, I understand what he's point of view is but it also feels very much like naive of her to think that her child would not be able to become a political oh yeah figure
0: and like you know, the, the untold story of what happens at the end of this film, it's like, well, I think some stuff would go down differently than you're all hoping here, but yeah, yeah, we get this in another intense scene with Theo, like, creeping around the house in the middle of the night and hearing that they have plans to kill him, and what they're gonna do with the baby, and, and all of this and, and you even see, like, Luke pulling the gun on Patrick and and, like threatening him and stuff like that so he goes and gets Key and Miriam and he flees this farm I say the middle of the night like by the time they actually get away the sun is fully up and it's a weird thing of like was this a legit continuous shot because it's like we go from like it's pitch black to like the sun is starting to come up to the sun is up I assume this is just they did film it all in a row and they just chose takes that were like enough apart that (laughs) the entire time of day changed but But
1: yeah this is another one that was like really nice technical shows. Yeah, like, shows. seeing
0: him move like, between the cars and stuff, pulling out the stuff from...
1: He pulls the brake line, doesn't he, on one of the cars, because one of the cars is able to start and then crashes into uh, the trees.
0: yes, that is what happens, yes, very good. Yeah, it's just so, so intense, and, like, it feels, like, so much of this feels like modern video games that go big on the cutscenes and, like, the moving dynamic cameras and stuff, and, you know, Metal Gear Solid and The Last of Us, and, and all this sort of stuff there's so many shots in those kind of games that I can't help but think must have taken some inspiration from this because it's so specific
1: in the visual coding of it all. But I love the, the little touch of like earlier on when they first arrive like Luke says like don't block my car in it won't start he needs a jump Yep. to leave and then they obviously get into the car at the front and it's the one that can't start so <laughs> yeah. the tension of this scene is he's he's purposely destroyed all these other cars but like he can't start the car that he's stolen
0: yep he should have taken one of theirs but it's blocked in isn't it
1: and there's also the little touch of
0: animals really like theo tomash says how oh they like you they don't like anyone and then while he's making his in some ways almost comically slow escape but still <laughs> fast enough to get away and like you see charlie on him like sprinting down the hill as like he's gone on mode and it's like they they won't let them open fire exactly they won't let them open fire in the car because key's in there and he's asking if he can shoot and key opens the door on a hay bale yeah exactly him and doors man he won't learn but yeah once they get to the bottom of the hill of just a push start the dogs come charging down it's like oh you're fucked but the dogs just sort of get there and then just bark a lot because they don't really want to hurt theo and it's like yeah good and yeah they, they barely get away and we've had another of these Intense little scenes.
1: I love the amount of animal stuff in this movie. Like there's a there's dog this... in like
0: every single scene. It's crazy. <laughs>
1: yeah, and like but I love that there's the like, the cats in the in the farmhouse when like they're doing the boat and there's just this little kitten that's crawling up Theo's leg as he like up there.
0: Just climbing that leg. Yeah, so he of course takes them to Jasper who formulates this plan to smuggle them into Bexhill Hill Refugee Camp uh, and they'll like meet the boat from there somehow. But the fishes come for them and so he sends them on their way despite it. Being being very clear he's not going to survive this. So there's a beat throughout the movie that, like, you'd be forgiven for not paying attention to with this quietus thing, which yeah, is... Yeah, well, like
1: is, is it being advertised on TV, and I think they mentioned earlier, it's like, they give you this suicide kit and whatnot.
0: Yeah, and you see it on a bus and, and, yeah, he's just talking about it in passing, and when he walks in, Jasper, there's this moment, where it's like, is he dead? And, like, the quietus is on the floor next to his food or whatever, and it's like, oh, fuck, and then he turns out he's just asleep, and he's like, oh, I use it on the rat and it works exactly like they say like they go very peacefully and it's just this it will be very important in a minute but yeah it's this thing that was just in the background throughout the movie and you know at first this is all nice stuff with them all hanging out, and we
1: get—it's a nice respite because we've had like two quite intense scenes where they've had to run away from stuff. Yes, and now they get to just kind of relax a little bit, and you get a little bit of a download on Dylan and his relationship to like they mentioned like old oh, Theo and Julian loved bringing Jet Dylan to like come see Jasper and stuff like that, and he loved it in this little house that they had, and how they met at like a political rally
0: and talking about faith versus chance and how, like, a life of believing the things they did led them together, and then the random chance of having Dylan, and then the unfortunate chance of a flu epidemic that, yeah, that they lost their child. Just seeing Theo go from smiling as he hears these old stories to, like, (laughs) just that face as they get to the stuff about Dylan, because he's round the corner and everything, it's just so,
1: so, so sad. Clive Owen doesn't say a lot in this movie. No, not really. He says enough, but like, there's a lot of scenes where it's just him reacting to stuff, and yeah. this is one of those like key ones where the camera's offset to like all of them having fun, and you get the callback to Jasper's giving Miriam the, um, the the strawberry cough, and she gets it, <laughs> um, but he's kind of like framed and. Uh, he's still struggling to find shoes after leaving them in the. Um... Yeah, another
0: beat that like is sort of understated is he's like wearing flip flops for quite a long time from here, and then like someone hands him a pair of shoes later on, and you'd be forgiven for thinking like what? And it's like, oh right, because he's been a dumbass running around in flip flops for so long, <laughs> and then yeah, when they come for them, and he sends them on their way, and he's like, come on, mate, are you coming? And he's like, no, I'm staying behind, and it's like. You know what's gonna happen here, and... Having to sit there and watch him... Like, he puts on Ruby Tuesday, and it's, like, it's a cover, and, like... He's sitting there preparing the quietest box, and he he tells his wife he loves her, and it's just like, oh, God, because... It's not that the fishes would kill her at worse. it's that, like, she would just be left there unable to do anything and just... Yeah, like, it, 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 they wouldn't kill her, they
1: probably will kill him.
0: Yeah, exactly, and just, like, the dignity of this death versus just being left there to waste away in that. And, like, I think he kills the dog, too. And and I mean, the, the, the line is very ambiguous, because they say there's a dead woman and dog inside. Yeah, and is that dead woman and so, dead dog, or dead woman and dog It's like, because I mean, the dog could potentially go rummage around in the bushes and stuff. I don't know, but it's played very well by Michael Caine. Shockingly, Michael Caine's a good actor. Yeah, and And then then
1: he gets to come out and do this. Like, all throughout the movie, he's been in this thing where, like, he keeps on asking people to pull his finger. It's this, like, very childish thing that really suits the personality of the character that he has in this movie.
0: Apparently, Um... Michael Caine had a really fun time wearing that costume, I think. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, his dying moments are doing pull my finger and getting shot repeatedly by. It's
1: <laughs> yeah, for. Yeah, uh, like, it's that thing where, like, it, uh, they shoot me in each limb, and again, this movie's so brutal, it's all done from the distance, it's all done from Theo's point of view, as like, you're watching it from afar, but you can still tell that, like, each limb kind of goes dead.
0: And, like, a really realistic sounding gunshot as well, and, and, yeah, just seeing Theo's reaction to that as well, it's just, oh, it's fucked. I can't, I can't remember what he says to Miriam as they go back to the car. He says, don't like, fucking touch me, what's the reason for that? Because she's very, everything happens for a reason, and, and yeah. Like, and then, and and the key
1: key asks and goes like is is jasper okay and they're like yeah he's fine
0: yeah it's like everything's fine shut up off they go though to meet to rendezvous with Jasper's contact it's like an abandoned school I think or, or something like that and there's like a which,
1: de- is, which is where we get like because obviously Miriam's been this kind of like weird force where like she's aligned with the fishers but she's coming with Key because her
0: loyalty is more to Key than the fishers it feels or yeah, but like, or she more than they do like, has Key's best interests at heart even if they are yeah. all fishers or whatever yeah
1: but she does this like little speech about being a midwife back before oh, the
0: haunting stuff yeah. yeah
1: like she was a midwife and she says like she knows that there weren't any bookings for like the next six or seven months into the future and she like called
0: yeah called around and was seeing similar things and like miscarriages were happening earlier and earlier and it is this really nice moment between these they had just been like at odds with him like you know don't fucking touch me and all this stuff and it's not that they were like enemies up until now but that is quite a tense bit and then he says the very nice thing about like and now you'll be here for the beginning. And she thanks him for it. And it's just... It's nice to see them have this little moment. And Pam Ferris Terrell is really good. But, like, she crushes it in that scene there. And, yeah,
1: it's... I mean, the best thing is, like, this movie doesn't have... Because so much of it has to focus on Clive Owen. Like, everyone around them doesn't have, like, a lot to do to kind of, like, do it. But, like, in their, like, one or two scenes where they get to show off, they are really good.
0: And they talk about how, like, the world sounds strange without children laughing in it. And that will, of course, pay off at the end.
1: But, uh yeah, they...
0: They rendezvous with Sid, who is very unhinged. (laughs) He talks about himself in the third person, which should have been the immediate red flag. And, yeah, they're put on a bus towards Bexhill, and during the journey, Key goes into labour, and Miriam is taken away by... She's trying to cover for her, and they take her away, and the very strong implication is that Miriam is executed there and then, but it's, it's super fucked. But they do eventually make it to their shelter within the camp, and... Theo is forced to help deliver the baby. I've gone over a lot there, but... It's a
1: very creepy performance from Peter Mullen.
0: It really is. Like, even before you know what's up. it's, It's... I feel this is a trope. The guy that, like, we all know he's a bit wrong... And the character sort of is initially distrustful of them, but, like, you don't get the extent of it for a minute, and it's, like, you're waiting for them to turn on him or whatever, but...
1: Well, cos, like, cos the last thing Jasper says is, like, Sid's okay, just remember to call him, like, a fucking fascist when... Yeah, a fascist you see pig, him. yeah. Fascist pig. Theo does it, and then, like, his whole demeanour changes, and he's just, like, say that to me again
0: yeah and it's it's intense, and like he pulls the baton out and everything, and it's oh it's it's some
1: stuff for sure he, he he does some like very fun like flips Sid does on the way there because like at points he's he seems nice and jovial, like, yeah. He's like I like dealing with Jasper' cause, or Sid likes dealing with Jasper because
0: oh yeah, he's like I can get it cheaper, but like I like it from him because
1: He's funny, or like yeah, he's nice because Sid likes him. Because oh. Sid like Sid likes him, and then then he immediately turns into like, "What's up with her?" Because Keys in labor, and it's like you can't throw up, can't get vomit out of out of these things. Show me a Fuji face. Show me a sad Fuji face. <laughs> and we learn on the bus that no one
0: actually talks directly to the human project, which led me, I remember, to thinking, "Oh, it's all going to be a fucking like ruse or whatever, and it'll all be a trap, and they don't even exist or whatever." But no, it's just a little bit. Where is, and Theo's very like, "Sorry, say that." again, which isn't something you see a lot in films. Everything has to be, like... Pointed dialogue, but. And Miriam getting fucking taken out to be
1: potentially executed. Yeah, we don't, we don't ever see it. It's not one of those things where, like, they pan across and you see a, a firing line. You just see. Well,
0: you kind of do, because, like, they're putting a bag on her head and then you they're see the. Like, they
1: put, they the... put the bag on her head. They've got them all lined up. Some of them are being walked off in the background and then some of them are, like, but dead. But no one obviously. in the background oh. has a bag
0: on their head. And everyone oh. who's dead does have a bag on their head. It's sort of like. I, and I think the reason they even take her is because it's, like, heavy use of, like, religious language or, or anything like that. I feel makes. I just, make I reason.
1: just, I don't even, I don't even think it's that. I just think it's like people who seem troublemakery. They just take them off sure. the thing, which is just this profoundly fucked up thing where like yeah. there's no rhyme or reason. They are just executing these people with no, no just cause or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, the most of them, they're putting into this what it was, what is supposed to be a prison, but is actually just Bexhill on Sea with gates around it, which yeah. is and just it, fuck
0: you, live here, live in this ghetto yeah. basically. It is the implication that every now and then they bring bring ships to like deport them or are they just left here to fucking rot or what what have we got going on here right? I
1: mean because there's a thriving infrastructure in because like Miriam gets taken and Theo and Key kind of like make it through the rest of this kind of like trial whatever it is and they get out the other side and yeah. there's people with bikes and people saying like come stay with us pay us money to, yeah. to stay in our little hotel we've got running water the luxuries but it, all the luxuries that back yeah, Hill, but, like, can't is, possibly deliver it is so much like they are just there is a town here but it's just
0: yeah (laughs) It's intense as well, like, knowing that she's in labour every second of it as they're walking around, and, like, she keeps, they keep almost getting separated, and it's like, oh, for fuck's sake, catch up with her, and they do, you know, they do relatively unscathed make it into this accommodation, and, like, the birth scene is another intense fake one-shot, and there's weird stuff going on with, like, fake legs and, and a CGI baby and stuff, but just, it is very impressive that the camera doesn't seem to cut away from when they get in there. Uh, until the baby has been born. But the the,
1: the the tension of this scene is more about like the the person who's showing them around, Marichka, is like she just doesn't want to leave and she doesn't speak English. They can't just go like fuck off. Like yeah,
0: well she's like tell her to get the fuck out and everything. Yeah, um, and it's I think it's one of the more intense. Birth scenes in cinema, to be honest. I mean, I know there are a lot of intense birth scenes in in film and TV history, but this is this one really stands out, I think, because of that intensity that
1: is created by that. Yeah. Like, and like, shot. like, we we haven't talked a lot about Claire Hobashi so far. No, she's um, very good. She's very good. She doesn't like. She, it's it's a weird weird role because so much of it is like reacting to the world around her. But and every like, time she says "wicked" or like swears unexpectedly,
0: it's like yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Like we, we it, like there's the, the, obviously there's earlier on where like. The, Leo kind of asks her and goes like, who's the father? And she goes like, oh, it's a virgin birth. And then starts giggling immediately after he kind of like freaks out a little bit
0: yeah there is um, that implication of like is she a sex worker because I mean she's an illegal immigrant who's wanted and if she is she couldn't have a job and I, I don't know maybe that is what they're trying to say there but Cause yeah, cause she like, says she, how she, she doesn't she said, get the wankers names or whatever or...
1: yeah there's, there's plural it's not, not just the one but she's this like she plays it so well between being so full of kind of like hope and joy and she's obviously so young I think she was about 19 when she shot this yeah she's 32 at the moment so I think like it, she must have been yeah very young but yeah I mean, she, she's like the one who I've not seen a lot of afterwards I know she's no. Dr. Foster she, uh, and, and I think she did an episode of Master of None but like I've not seen her in anything no. that I've actually watched yeah. apart from the one episode of Master of None but she didn't stick out okay. for whatever role she played in that
0: <laughs> so we, we have our child and the next morning Sid comes back for them we get that turn of even before he sees the baby we find out from him that he learned there's a bounty on their heads and he's figured he'd come back like that's why he's come back and then he discovers the baby as well and he gives us this info that like I totally missed on my first viewing I was just sort of like how are there guns in this place like surely they just stormed the gates it's like no the fishers have bombed their way in and armed people because they've been talking about this uprising throughout the movie and this is it for them like it's like an armed uprising from one of the camps and they think they're gonna get the baby and use it as a boon and everything but yeah Sid is creepy here and like has them at gunpoint and they are forced to overpower him and flee and Theo, I think, kills him with a fucking car battery, or at uh, I'm pretty, uh,
1: pretty sure, because his jaw definitely like moves a good inch.
0: Yeah, and he just slumps and yeah. They do make it out there to another safe house with the promise of a boat and everything, but it's rough stuff, man. It's this yeah, it's, sort it's, of it's, everyone it's, turning it's... on each other, every man for themselves, type dirty worlds that they've created.
1: It like the scene with Sid chasing them is fantastically tense because you know he's gonna get up and come down the hallway at some point, but they can't get through the door because the door doesn't quite open
0: yeah and then um, that brief moment where it's like she's got my baby and then she just pops back around it's like no she's one of the good ones you're okay <laughs>
1: yeah, like... and then and then they get to this like safe house and they start being more liberal with who they show the baby to and there's this wonderful moment where the baby's being like completely spoiled by these like two <laughs> Eastern European women who have not seen a child in God knows how long yeah and... well we're getting famously to
0: this stretch of the movie has a lot of that and it's it's really Really powerful. When they're they're heading out towards the boat and everything, uh, and I like that he has to draw a boat on the wall as well because obviously she doesn't speak English but um, on their way to the boat the fishes intercept them and Luke takes key and Patrick is about to execute them but Theo narrowly avoids it and navigates through a literal war zone and eventually does manage to rescue Key. Just the intensity of this scene with Patrick sort of walking towards camera, singing his little Geordie Shanty song and like executing one of the guys and doing it in this haphazard. As I I said, this is very video game villain. Uh, of from this sort of era. Yeah, he doesn't,
1: he doesn't even look at him It's like, side gun, not even the one who's, like, directly in front of him, doesn't from the distance, it's... Yeah. But there's also the great moment where, like, when Luke takes Key away, he turns around to Patrick and it's just like, don't do it to her around the corner.
0: Yeah, exactly, and it's like, like, they have to protect... They're still gonna keep lying to Key and just, like, pretend that he just took some, un- like, incidental fire or whatever, but yeah. He is safe while Key is there, but then Patrick being interrupted by, like, gunfire from the side and... Jesus, like this whole scene is shot like a sort of Slick war in the Middle East style thing with just stuff happening. I mean, there's, on e- there's every even that. Road.
1: Yeah, there's even that earlier scene where like they're running through the streets and they run into the the, mm-hmm. the, the Islam, or oh, no, the, the Islamic kind of like parade.
0: Oh, of course, um, yeah, yeah. Where
1: they're all going to Al aqbar Bar, which feels very pointed, even. Yep. Back then.
0: <laughs> That's what I mean by at least there are some white people scattered in here, and that like key is black. It's like this could have been real rough stuff handled by different people. I think. Um, I don't even know how to talk about it, just him making his way up to Key through all of these like, just every road there's suddenly an explosion or a gunfire or like, Patrick sees him at the end of the road and like, he has to take cover and then a tank fucking rocks up and I really like Clive Owen's body language in um, the scene where Patrick is in a room next to him, and he, like, sees him go in, and he, like, his hands move in a way that's like, should I try and grab him, or should I, like, hang back? And he doesn't know what to do, and eventually, sort of, fate sort of takes it out of his hands. But, yeah, it's all just so delightfully tense, and, like, this scene made the studio concerned, because it took them 14 days to prepare it in the first place, and every reset of the, for a take, took five hours and in the middle of it there's a blood splatter on the camera and Curon tried to call cut and they, they had to overrule him and be like no keep going keep going because there was so much noise you couldn't really hear that anyway but because it's such so difficult to do and that blood splatter scene is the one that makes it in and that's part of how you can tell it isn't really a one shot is the blood Cause, cause suddenly it just, disappears
1: yeah it's like it starts disappearing you can tell they're trying to like bleed it away so you don't like it doesn't just disappear immediately yeah I mean it's one of the, but it's one of the things that makes it so much more intense like it's that moment of like just the slight fourth wall break that the movie does it feels so much more intimate when that happens Mm -hmm. and this scene is so good
0: yeah, it's a six like, minute sort of one-er, and yeah, just so intense. Just so incredible. Like, there are action movies that set out to be action movies that cannot hope to match this, and this isn't an action movie by, I would think, any definition of what genre is. Yeah, like, like is. what Clive
1: Owen is, fights one person in this movie, really. Like- never,
0: never touches a gun. There's no, like, big standoffs or fist fights or anything. It's just bad shit is going down, and there is an intensity to just trying to navigate it versus, like, most movies go going All in on just guns everywhere, fist fights everywhere. Like just everyone, just look at this and direct your action scenes like this. And I love
1: that, like kind of when he gets up to the top there, like everyone on the top floor is kind of staring into the room where where Luke and Key are. Yeah. Because they can hear the baby, cr- they can hear the baby crying. And oh, it's God. like, what the fuck is this?
0: Chiwetel tell in this scene is so good. Like him being like, I just started crying while I was carrying the baby. I forgot how beautiful they are.
1: And then he just starts firing out of the side of the building. Yeah. <laughs> what, what I love about this. is is the two quote unquote villains of this piece like cause Luke and Patrick are kind of the closest things this movie has to a villain even though you understand what their point of view is even if you don't agree with it like they are just going like we need to do something drastic to yeah. to turn the tide of this radical
0: action is required
1: but I love that like you don't see either of them die really or well, like, Patrick you get to see but it's very much like in the distance he gets kind of like pegged twice and then yeah. collapses and stuff like that and even then with Luke where Theo manages to get Key out of the room and, and he does.
0: Open fire on him, but like you assume he missed
1: <laughs> for a second. Yeah, but then but then he like walks down the hallway and then all of a sudden you just see the the room go up in the same way that the bomb went off exactly earlier at yeah. the movie.
0: Oh god, this whole moment. I think it could have been so cheesy. Yes, and I think it is handled so powerfully. Wherein every single person that sets eyes on the baby just can't believe it, and like the worship that you get from the refugees, and then like even the fishes seeing it and being like, oh. And like they touch it as they go by and you, and then the soldier, like the guards who have been just treating the refugees like they're subhuman scum and everything even they are like fucking stop firing and like they get escorted and it's like oh we got two coming out and just walking past this like long line of soldiers and every one of them like in awe and then just the, the fighting breaks out again in the background it's just so so powerful so it, intense it's,
1: it, it could have been overplayed by any actor in that scene like no one freaks out everyone just kind of like it's all understated like yeah. a couple mutterances of Jesus Christ people reaching their hands up to touch a baby yeah. like the closest you get to like an actual outburst is that cease firing cease firing which fits in so seamlessly to show how serious this is where the the entire army's going to go like stop yeah. this there is a child here
0: yeah exactly like no one's seen a baby <laughs> in 20 some people have never seen a baby probably in this world
1: and this is this is like there there are like multicultural soldiers in this scene if i recall
0: i believe so yeah
1: again, it, it, it toes that line very well.
0: And, like, seeing that shot of the two characters with the baby and, like, the soldiers all behind them, like, that is one of the big, like, images that are used from the movie, and I haven't actually made the poster at the time of recording. It may be the one I use, but they do make it to the boat and they row out to this buoy as instructed. Ah, boy. <laughs> uh, and Theo succumbs to a gunshot wound we didn't actually even know he had. Uh, but, I mean, if you actually watch it, you can see he gets hit. It's just they don't... the typical reaction shot, so it's like, who knows? And Key says she will name her daughter Dylan for his dead son, and then the movie closes with uh, the promised boat The Tomorrow arriving, and the credits roll. Just them rowing out into this mist. And also, Theo, like, wanting... Is it Marika, the character?
1: Marichka. Theo
0: wanting Marichka to to come with them. Like, he's just this nice guy. Like, so many films like this, the protagonist would be very, like, fuck everyone else, only what's necessary. And he just constantly wants everyone nice to come with him. And it's just... He's just a good
1: dude, isn't he? And also, do you think it is, like, I'm gonna die. I need someone else to, like... Wow, Yeah be in this boat with her. And Someone's also, like,
0: knowing that they're all gonna die, like, because we heard from Sid that, like, they're gonna bomb the place and then when they, yeah. they row out into the mist and it's almost another world <laughs> like, this sort of weird, like they're just out in the middle of nowhere and you you hear, and I, I don't know if you see them, but you hear the planes going overhead to bomb the place and kill everyone there, presumably. And yeah, just this, this lovely little scene where, like the last things he does are give parenting advice and be told that she's naming the child after his son and everything. Yeah, because he, just... he, he does
1: the thing like she, he's probably got wind need yeah, to yeah. hold him thing. I also got the wonderful moment where Luke's got the baby and like after he said like I, I started crying. I uh, can't remember. I, he says like it's such a beautiful baby boy or something like that. Oh, he's then, like we need him and it's like we need him. It's and a the girl like, and like in the, that he feels so crestfallen and like I don't even know what it, what the kind of implication there is like whether or not there is gender politics going on inside his head. But is this beautiful moment where like?
0: Well, I think it connect. Well, he says I had a sister and I think that just makes it more real for him almost. But I mean, yeah. he does continue to try and stop him, It's just it stuns him for a
1: second or whatever. Yeah. Um, beautifully played by Chiotel, who is... He's just coming off Serenity at this point. Oh
0: My god. One of the best villain performances yeah, in, like, in so sci-fi the year, history. The year before
1: this, he had both Serenity and Kinky Boots. Yeah. And he was also in Inside Man. Which he's
0: not awful in. I yeah. wish he had a little bit more here, but like the focus has to be so much on Clive Owen that like he can't he he gets what he's got and he's good in it because he's good in everything let's be real it's a great performance and we have this ambiguous ending where like you know the ship is there that's real and they very easily could have just ended it with them sitting on that boat and you not knowing what happened but you don't know what's going to happen here like you don't know if the human project are real you know the
1: boat is real but you don't know if it's actually a fishing boat you see it you see it's called the Tomorrow Mm -hmm. but you don't know if it is just a fishing vessel and this is all hearsay yeah and you don't know
0: like say they're real maybe it's a situation where it's like right we're gonna cut this baby to pieces and like figure out like why you were able to and you as well like you know figure out what happened or maybe it is a happy world where like they fixed it all because I mean the credits are just full of laughing and shouting and screaming children which harkens back to what Miriam was saying about the world feeling funny and everything but yeah that ambiguous ending because it's you know it's about the journey not the destination and all all that sort of stuff and it's what Ciarán set out to do. He didn't want to do exposition, and he didn't want a neatly packaged ending. He just wanted to tell... It's Theo's story, like, of this slice of the end of Theo's life and everything. So, it's a great ending, and some of these sort of endings, I think, sort of piss me off, <laughs> when they can't be bothered to come up with an ending,
1: and then some of them, I think, really, really work, and this falls into that latter camp. Yeah, this this is one of those kind of, like, I don't, I don't want to say it's like an underrated masterpiece, but it's definitely... This feels like the kind of thing that a lot more people probably should have seen yeah. at the time. Like, I feel like there's there's a lot here to appeal to a lot of people but for whatever reason advertising or whatever like it just didn't get seen by that nah. many people but and it's um, hard
0: to like explain it without just giving away what happens and like you sort of have to show people this the the one shots But then it's, like, showing them out of context. And, yeah, it's... Everyone watch it. It, It's really, really good. If you aren't watching along with us... Yeah, that'd be weird if you just listened to this and heard us talk about movies you've never seen. Well, maybe you do. That's why we tell you at the end of each episode what the next one is. Give you that week to watch. The very end of the credits, it says shanty, shanty, shanty at the end, which I believe means peace. And Jasper said it to them when they were all in his house earlier. And it is used in a T.S. Eliot poem about infertility. So there you go, there's a little reference for people who are well-read. I'm not. I can just read Wikipedia. So, I don't know what
1: else there is to say. It's just a style. Great movie. It plays so much differently now in 2019 than it did in 2016. Or before <laughs> yeah. 2016. Yeah. yeah. Again, I can't remember the last time we saw it, but I definitely haven't watched it since then. Yeah. I'm w- watching it with my partner and, like, just kind of, like, her coming out of it. It's just kind of like, that was really great. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's a, a stylistic masterpiece. And I don't know why... Clive Owen isn't a bigger star it's not I don't he's not in anything but I feel this is like why isn't everyone just offering him work based on this alone so so good I I look forward to the next Huron project I wish as you said that they were closer together but I know
1: because there's there's seven years between this and Gravity and then there's another six years or five years between Gravity and Roma yeah and I think he did Roma should have won Best Picture yes
0: (laughs) I think he did some TV and some short stuff and everything yeah
1: he did an episode of the pilot for believe but uh, yeah not not enough really no
0: well, as I said, we tell you what we're doing next week so you can watch along with us. Uh, go to intotherealworld.com, Mike and Matt on SoundCloud. Uh, next week we are doing...
1: Our first Best Picture winner.
0: Yeah, wow. <laughs> we're really good at picking the movies. The Departed. Actually, that makes me like it less if it won Best Picture <laughs> today. <laughs> we're doing The Departed, which was mentioned at the beginning of this episode, and we will sort of be back to some Curon as producer down the line, so maybe you can figure that one out. Until then, thank you, everyone. It's insufferably hot, so I must go. But Ben, before you go, you do have a final task for us. Can you confirm? Will there be movies? Will I do a Boston accent?
1: (laughs) Go on. There will be movies. There will be movies. You're a coward. Bye, everyone!